Thanks so much. Great time of worship together. You might want a Bible. There's Bibles at the back. The uh, scriptures will come up. The text will come up on the screens. But uh, if you'd like to have it open in front of you in a book, remember what those are? Uh, You certainly can do. We are in Romans chapter 1. Now, I'm giving, I didn't actually know we were doing Romans first when I set this up, but, um, but here we are. We're Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 to 5 in just a moment. And maybe it's a little teaser, a little taster of what's to come next Tuesday. Um, so you might want to have that open. It's on page 1,128 in the Church Bibles, 1,128. And let me set this up like this. What, is it, what does it mean to you when I say the word gospel? What do you think of when I say the word gospel? Lots of options. Gospel music, Sister Act, Whoopi Goldberg. If, I, if church had music like that, I would go to church. Yeah, people say that. Um, gospel can be used to like say something that's true. So um, Johnny told me he didn't rob the bank. And I took his words as gospel, gospel truth. It was dead sir. He was telling the truth. It was the gospel. We use it like that. Perhaps you were taught in your RE lessons. First four books in the New Testament, yeah, in the middle of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are the gospels. Or um, maybe you thought about it in relation to preaching, right? So we like it when people preach the gospel because we know that there you know the attempt there is to give reason people to believe to trust in the lord jesus and if you're doing that if you if you're bringing us to christ and encouraging us to turn to him in faith then you are preaching the gospel like that but if you're talking about noah and the flood and moses and david and all those you're not not really like that What do you think of when we think of the gospel? Well, let me read this text um, for us. And you're going to see the gospel, the word gospel comes up actually four times. I'm going to read verses one to five. Uh, No, I'm not. I'm going to read one, two. Yeah, I am. One to five and then 16 and 17. Okay. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, is actually stronger than that. It's Paul, a slave, really, calls himself a slave, slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. There it is. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Now just dip dip down to uh, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed 
a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Okay, let me hang this talk on three headings and then we know where we're going. Number one, the gospel is not just good advice. That's the first thing we're going to find in these words. Number two, it's not a three-step process by which we are saved. And then number three, the gospel is news. News about a person and that person Everything about that person is good. Okay. The gospel, here's number one. The gospel is not good advice. The, um, let me just get you into the word that when you read in your Bible the word gospel, the word you're actually reading is a Greek word, which means, and you probably know this one, like quite literally, good news. And it's the same Greek word from which we get the word evangelical or evangelism right so if i call myself an evangelical christian or if this is an evangelical church you could sort of literally go well it's a kind of good news church we're a good news people if we're about the evangel the the gospel so that's the word in there and the way it's important to think about the way words were used so here's a little example for you just to sort of get you thinking if I said to you, I'm going to go and surf, what do you think of? Because I could guarantee you that maybe 30 years ago, maybe less, if I said, right, I'm going to go and, I'm going to go and do some surfing, you would go, oh, he's going, to, he's going to the seaside. He's going to get a board out. He's going to go surfing like that. These days, if I say, well, I'm going to surf, you might think, oh, he's going on the internet it's going to surf the web right so how was the word gospel understood uh, 2000 years ago first century mediterranean okay there were just think about this in that day and that age when paul was writing his letter there was no printing press no tv no internet no smartphones no deliveroo you believe that no WhatsApp. <laughs> what did they do? How did they even meet with one another? If, if news had to be shared, right, if, there's some, if something had happened, it had to be proclaimed. Now, we've seen this. It's interesting, isn't it? With the whole thing with the king, with the announcement of the new king, the new king of England and the Commonwealth, it's been proclaimed. Did you see this? So it was proclaimed in all the big cities, in Edinburgh, in Glasgow, in Dublin. But also lots of county councils and cities and towns have had their own little proclamation ceremonies, right? Saying, you know, I know, hear ye, or something. The king, King Charles is now the king, whatever they said, right? And that's because when the monarchy was first established in this country, they didn't have TV, internet, phones, Maybe even newspapers were pretty new. You know, we're talking quite a while ago. So it had to be told. You had to have people who, you know, would actually sh spread this news around the whole nation. Now, similarly, <clears throat> when people had news, 
you know, Caesar Augustus is now the emperor. Or the battle has been won, the war is over. Then these town criers, I suppose, these heralds would come and proclaim the gospel. Right, they'd come and share and speak out this good news and you would hear it and you'd be like, wow, we've won or the war is over or the king is on the throne. Significant moments of good news. So it wasn't an, it wasn't an idea, like another idea, two for one at Sainsbury's, something coming up. It wasn't so much of here's, here's something to stew on or think about or ponder. It was like, this is significant. It's going to affect you. This is going to change the world. The world is different now because the battle is won. The war is over. The king is on the throne. See? They would proclaim the gospel. An event has taken place. It has happened. See that? So when we hear the word gospel, when you read gospel, think of that. Think of a, a herald announcing, there's been, this has happened. Okay, so it's not merely good advice. It's news, it's an event. Right, second, second, the gospel is news, it's an event, it's something that's happened, it's a proclamation, um, and it's more than just a mechanism. Listen to the way it's described in verse 16. So this is what Paul says. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is, get this, the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So that's first to the nation of Jewish people and then to all the nations. Gentile is the word ethnoi, nations. Everyone else, the whole world. So you could read that verse as, not ashamed of the gospel, power of God for the salvation of the whole world. The power of God that brings salvation. Now, more than just a way by which we would be set free, you know, out of captivity, forgiven. Think of a prisoner here. Think of a prisoner maybe in Chelmsford Prison. Let's bring it right up to the modern day. That prisoner, you could walk up to that prison, let's say you're the governor, you could walk up to that prisoner and say, you've received the pardon. You're forgiven. You can go free. Right? I mean, that's, that is quite good. But then they walk out, don't they? They go to the gates. They get their 20 quid. I don't know how much it is now. You get your gate money. And it's straight back into the old life that they only ever knew. And probably, more often than we'd like, back into crime it's more than that right salvation is a big deal in the bible it'd be more like coming out of a prison outside the city beyond the walls and being brought into the kingdom more than that into the presence and family of the king into the future an inheritance of the king of the kingdom. All the way in. So it's not just a pardon. It's not just, oh, you're forgiven. You can come out of prison. It's shackles freed. 
out of the dark place, into the city walls, into the kingdom, keep coming, into the throne room, into the family, royalty now, a son and an heir, inheritance, future, forever. All the way in, salvation. When the Bible talks about that magnificent word, salvation, you've got to think a journey from right the way outside of the city in the prison and in the dump all the way up to the palace of the king and the family of the king, salvation. And all the significance that that brings. So just think now, we've been thinking about royalty a lot. Our TVs and phones are full of stuff about the royal family. Just think about everything. I know that there's stuff about royalty which is a bit difficult or jarring, but think about everything that's positive about it. The significance of it. The purpose of it. The dignity, the honor, the history. The ceremony. The acclaim, the centrality of it you brought there. That's salvation. And it says, that verse says, the gospel is the very power of God that brings about that change of status. Right? That's, the sta- that's the journey that the gospel brings you on. It brings salvation. Do you notice that? It comes to you. It's brought to you. It's offered to you. You get it. It's given to you, not something you produce yourself. You don't go and grab it. It comes. It's brought to you, that salvation, on the wings of the gospel. The power of God. Now, that is, so, that is different from a lot of the stuff that we usually have to strive for in life. You want a, you know, if you want a great body, you have to go and get it. You have to do your Joe Wicks, you have to swap out your meats for plant-based diet, you have to get your paddleboard going, right? You've got to go and get it. If you want to get a job, you've got to have a good CV, you've got to get out there, you've got to put your best foot forward, you've got to dress to impress, you've got to go grab it. Let me read the verse to you again. Not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God that brings salvation to you, comes to you, and to everyone who believes. So it's more than just a formula. It's more than just, okay, a three-step formula. I have to do X, Y, and Z in order to receive this salvation. It comes to you. But finally, right, so it's, it's more than advice. <laughs> it's more than like something, a routine, a three-step formula, some sort of method by which you're going to have to receive salvation. It's so much more profound. Here it is, verses 1 to 4. This is what, um, this is what Paul says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Let's just read it again. Called to be an apostle. Actually, can we have it on the screens? So it says here, right, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, can you see the hyphen there? Just flick back. See the hyphen? set apart for the gospel of God, and then the next few verses are like a bit of a bracket. Brackets now. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God, empowered by his resurrection from the dead. Close bracket. There's the colon. Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me just cut, let me just cut the middle bit out. 
and read it again, right? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of our, of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. What is that? Jesus Christ our Lord. So you can see, what is the good news then? What is the, what is the thing that you have to shout on the street corners and in all the cities? What is it Paul's proclaiming? What is he saying? He's saying, Jesus is Lord. It's him. He is the one. He is the Lord. And that is good news. And he says why. So just to jump into those brackets a little bit, he tells you why. He says because this has been, this is a fulfillment of God's promise. Right? There's at least two things in here that you want to see. It's a fulfillment of God's promise. So God promised so many things. I won't abandon you. I won't leave you. I won't leave you as orphans and outsiders. I will come to you. I will rescue you. I will be your lover. You will be my beloved. I will be your father. You will be my children. This is what the prophet said. The prophet said these things will come to pass. And when Paul says, I'm telling you, right, all those promises that the prophets wrote about, and they put them down in the Holy Scriptures, they are coming to pass in Jesus the Lord, right? And then secondly, he goes, he's a descendant of David. Let me tell you a bit about David. Here's just a few, few brief things. He has two and a half books written about him in the Old Testament. That is more than anyone else, right? So it's half of one Samuel, the whole of two Samuel, and pretty much the whole of one Chronicles. More biography about David than any other Old Testament figure. He wrote gazillions of Psalms. Loads of those were written by him. He is a prominent, he is huge, a huge figure. But he did make very grave errors. We know about some of those. Murder, <laughs> deceit, adultery, etc. But in the end, he was called, wasn't he, a man after God's own heart and a great king. But all the time, you know that David isn't the real deal. You know he's not the real deal. But Isaiah 9, for example, says, there's at least four things in that chapter which make you think, everything about David's kingdom that was good but not perfect will be perfect in the coming king, the son of David. So, for example, um, David didn't bring peace, not lasting peace. In fact, most of his reign was full of war and bloodshed. David was not altogether just and righteous. He made many mistakes, two particularly grave ones. David's kingdom wasn't worldwide. Isaiah says his kingdom, the kingdom of this one, the descendant of David, will be worldwide. David was just Palestine. Fourthly, his kingdom will last not 40 years like David's did, but forever. Now, those were the things on people's minds 
when they thought about the coming king, the descendant of David, is going to be this kind of king. It's going to be a kingdom that was like David's, really good, but where David's failed, this one would be perfect. So that is why it's good. That's why he's saying that this is gospel, this is good news. That king, that king is on the throne. And here's why it's reported as news. How do you, in a sense, how do you know that this is true? So just let's do another parallel with today, right? How do I know that King Charles is on the throne? How do I know that it's Charles who's on the throne, for example? One answer might be that his face is going to be on all the new notes. Do you know this? Do you know that uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth faced left, right? And with the change of a monarch, they swap it round and Charles will face right on all of our notes. Anyone know that little piece of trivia there? There you go. So we look at the notes and you can see. Ah, I can see. I can see from the money. It's this, it was the same, actually, in the Roman world. The emperors had their faces on the coinage. So you could see. All you have to do is look at the coins, look at the notes. Oh, yeah. It's Caesar Augustus. He's the emperor. Or it's Charles. Charles III. He's the king. I can see it. Right now, when we're talking about God's king, uh, we need something of a slightly different order of magnitude than just a printing press or a coin press. I need something a little bit more significant to convince me that, yes, Jesus Christ is God's king. And that's why he says, that's why he says, the spirit of holiness appointed him, this is verse 4, the son of God, the great king, the fulfillment of the promise, by his resurrection from the dead. That's the proof. There you have it. If you want to know that God has made this one king, you just have to look at that event. That seals the deal. See? So he was going, I can tell you. I can tell you this news. This is news. I'm reporting this. I'm reporting this to you. Jesus is on the throne. He is God's king and the fulfillment of all the promises. And I'll tell you how you know, because God raised him from the dead and he's done that with no one else. No one else but him. That is how you know that this is not just good, but this is news. It's fact. This is coming to you as an event. This has happened. So in that sense, it's a truth to be received. It's heralded out. You speak it out. Paul was speaking it out. And it was there, spoken to us, to be received. So I'm not offering to this as a piece of advice. It's not, this is an advisory. It's not so much a formula, like I'm going to offer you some sort of, you know, routine, formula, method by which you might be saved. It's news. The king is on the throne. 
this king. And everything about this king is good. Now I'm coming into land, so just, can we just let that trickle in? How does that change the way you think about the gospel? How does that change the way we speak about the gospel? When we speak to friends, maybe when we get opportunities to speak more publicly like this or preach sermons, if we're speaking about the goodness of Jesus, how good he is, what a great king he is, why he is so good for me, for you, for everyone. And we're declaring he is Lord. He is the king. He is the one installed. God has put him there by his resurrection from the dead. You can know it for certain. Then we are sharing the gospel. It's good. Anything about Jesus is good. And when we hear of him on the throne, that is news. News to be received. Let's pray together. Let's pray that the Lord would just press that in to our hearts this morning and give us cause to receive it. Lord, we receive good news. Jesus is good. He's a good king, a proper king, the righteous, everlasting king, fulfilling every promise you've made. Every promise you've made is yes and amen in Jesus. Every promise, you will be with us. You will never leave us. You'll bring us in. We're your beloved. We're your children. You won't abandon us. You've brought us home. Every promise is yes and amen in Christ, and he is the Lord, and the Lord of all, the Lord of glory. And we know it, Lord, because you raised him from the dead. And so we give you thanks. We shout hallelujah, we praise you, we thank you, and we receive him. We willingly subject, just like Paul did. I'm his slave. Yep, that's me. I'm not my own now. I'm no longer my own. I belong to him. Happy, delighted to be called a servant, a slave of this king. And we receive him. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.